Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of his truth that leads to godliness. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. You know, I didn't grow up as a Christian, and my excuse for not becoming a Christian was Christians. All the Christians I met, they said this, but they lived a different way. I was completely disillusioned. We all understand that our beliefs and our behaviors need to tell the same story. The gospel's power, and it's authenticated by how we love people. You are the greatest Christian someone knows. And you know what? They watch you and they observe you. He says it takes good people, people who are defined by God as good, to bring about light and darkness. Moral issues that have been biblical for 2,000 years are eroding, not just outside the church, but inside the church. You have to have the courage to say, wait a second, let's look at what the Bible says. We need to take a strong stand for truth because truth guards grace. What's he wanna do in you that would change that narrative? That when people think of followers of Jesus, they would think of kind, loving, holy, the kind of people that are, are you ready? That are a lot like Jesus. The most dangerous position in all the world is to intellectually agree with the gospel, but not have a genuine conversion of mind and heart and will where the evidence of Christ in your life is making a difference. This isn't a guilt trip, this is a grace trip. The grace of God produces a new kind of life because it reveals God's passion through a lost world and they know about Him by how we treat them. Doing good isn't something that you do because you earn God's love. Doing good is something because you have God's love. Let me encourage you and your group, experience the love of God and do good like never before. Well, that is a little teaser for the Bible study that we're going to be entering into on Wednesday nights and the, or the other nights that Bible studies are going to meet. There's a number of them. Uh, and it's Chip Ingram's study on the book of Titus. And you can see how, how important this is for the Christian church, for the church on earth, to, to dive into this book of Titus, to really line up what we say and what we do, what we believe and how we live that out. And so um, we have a new sermon series that we're entering. Today is just an introduction. And then each week we'll be preaching on Sundays about uh, the various pieces of Titus. And then uh, we hope that you'll join a small group or a life group or maybe you've got a group of friends that you can pull together and we'll get you the material to, to have a Bible study together to really dive into this book of Titus. Our, uh, our sermon series is titled Grace for Good. And so let's open up to Titus chapter 1. We're going to just do a little introduction today. And if you don't know where Titus is in the Bible, um, you're not alone. Can we get an amen? Uh, so don't feel bad about that. You're here, we're here together to learn about Scripture and what God is doing and where things are in Scripture. So we're glad that you're here. And there's Bibles in front of you if you'd like to grab them. And I'm going to tell you how to find it. It's in the New Testament, so towards the back of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four Gospels. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then you get into the T section of the New Testament, I say. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Titus. It's kind of a small book. It's only three chapters. We're going to spend seven weeks on this. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. There is the beginning of where we're going to start today of this great book, Titus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift, for the gift of Scripture, for the gift that Paul's letter to Titus is for our lives. We know that the Word is alive and that you go to work through it. That's what your Word tells us. That's what Scripture tells us, that the Word of God is alive and active. And so, Lord, we trust that not only today, but in the days and the weeks ahead, Lord, that you're going to use this Word not only in the life of this church and this community, but in our individual lives for good. And so, Father, would you pour out your Spirit on us? Would you pour out your Spirit, Father, that you would fill us, that you would correct us and encourage us in faith? Father, empty me of myself today and Pour out your spirit on this gathering, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our salvation. And all God's people say, well, if if you weren't with us over the course of this summer, or maybe you're new here, we spent the summer going over the book of Nehemiah, and it actually kind of dovetails in nicely to Titus. I'm going to tell you how. We watched in Nehemiah as God had called him to rebuild Jerusalem from the rubble of defeat, bringing God's people out of the Babylonian captivity. And we saw that the people responded. They returned to Jerusalem after 70, 100 years, and they got to work rebuilding the walls and the gates. Remember this? I hope some of you do. They found their spiritual footing again as God's people. They dove into the scriptures. They read them aloud. They confessed their sins. They recommitted their lives to God, and they promptly, what? Fell away. They promptly fell back into sin. And that, in short, sums up the Old Testament. God shows up, saves people in various ways, restores their fortune. The people commit themselves to the Lord and fall away. And the Old Testament, the testimony there, the witnesses, that story just happens over and over and over. God calls them back to be good, to do good, and he will be gracious to them, provide for them. But their, their sinful nature takes over and always gets in the way, and they fail. And so through Jesus, God does this new thing. Instead of waiting for us to be good in order to receive grace, God pours out his grace, and in doing so, empowers us to actually do good. You see the switch here? We've got two words, grace and good. The Old Testament, God is waiting for us to do good in order to be gracious. In the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, God pours out his grace and enables us to do and to be good, real, God-centered, God-empowered good that the world and that your neighbors need. Rather than waiting for us to get it, which we don't, how many people realize that in your own life? That it's not just about your energy and will to do good. Rather than waiting for us to get it, which we don't, that's the witness of the Old Testament, 
God takes us out of the equation. You remember when I said that a couple of weeks ago? God takes us out of the equation. He saves, redeems, justifies, he fills us. He pours out his grace and he gives us his spirit so that, we can, that that spirit can dwell in us and we can be good and do good for his namesake. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to be understanding this. And, and Paul, who is very much a proponent of this understanding of how God works in our life to give us grace, to empower us to do good in the world, says it in various ways throughout his letters to the churches. And one of the best places, which we go to time and time again, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We see this written in large right there. I'm going to read it again this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace, underline it. In fact, in the margin of your Bible, you can write the book of Titus. Grace for good. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good. For good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. There are three, four G words in that. Saved by grace. It's a gift from God for good. Saved by grace for good. So these next weeks, we're going to dive into Titus. Why? Well, because Titus gives us this great blueprint for how God calls us and empowers us through his grace to live out the good. In fact, Titus is divided up into three really helpful segments about how and where we are to do grace-empowered good. And I'm always going to kind of say it like that in this sermon, that we have grace-empowered good. Because I know our sinful nature is as soon as we start talking about doing good, we start kind of owning it like, you know, it's mine, it's, I'll do it, it's up to me, it's my will. And it's grace-empowered good. This is God at work in and through your life. It's divided up into these three sections, Titus, the short book, doing grace-empowered good in the church, doing grace-empowered good in relationships, and doing grace-empowered good out in the world. Anybody need any of those? I'm alone today. I'm alone on the study of Titus. No. Right? These, this is good stuff. The church, our relationships, and the world. To begin, let's just get a little bit of a sense of who Titus is and why this letter is important to us. So Paul, if you remember what I just read, calls Titus my true son in our common faith. It probably means, more than likely means, that Titus came to faith in Jesus Christ through Paul. And we see this in Paul's letters in other ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, you don't have to go there, but Paul talks about this reality. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we can see that Paul had these children... Timothy is one, Titus is one, that he considers fathering them in the faith. And he treats them in that same manner. He calls them like a father, like an earthly father would. He writes them and encourages them and corrects them as an earthly father would. Like a parent, Paul would be at work encouraging those disciples that he converted to Christianity. In fact, 
what we know about Titus comes through all of these letters that Paul wrote to, to these various churches because after Titus came to faith, he walked with Paul and he helped Paul in various places and on various journeys. So here's what we know from these letters of, uh, that Paul wrote. We know that, that Titus was a Gentile by birth, meaning that he, he, he was not a Jew like Paul. We know that Titus accompanied Paul to Jerusalem to deal with this controversy of, of Gentiles and Jews because the early fathers in the church were, there was, this, there was this debate about, do I need to get circumcised? Do I need to become a Jew before I can become, become a Christian? And some of the Jews are really kind of firmly planted in this notion of like, hey, you got to abide by these laws and you have to be circumcised before you can really believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And Paul and others were like, well, that's just throwing people back on the law. We give them the gospel, and then they're back in the law again? So there was a controversy, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 15, and, and Titus accompanied him there because he was not a Jew, not circumcised, and yet the Spirit was at work in him. And, and he talks about Titus in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You can go, you can write that down and read that later if you want to read a little bit more about Titus. During Paul's third missionary journey, Titus became Paul's kind of personal representative and really kind of helped and, and walked with Paul and encouraged him. And Paul had sent Titus um, to, to Corinth to get some firsthand reports on how the Corinthians had received that letter, 1 Corinthians, that I had just read from, chapter 4, 14, and 15. Paul sent Titus there to kind of go like, hey, what did they think of the letter? Because the letter wasn't just all roses and wonderful, great encouragement. The letter was like, hey, ho, what's it mean to be the church? So Paul was interested. What, what happened? How do, they, how do they receive it? And Paul up in Macedonia, and Paul was relieved when Titus said, hey, I was treated really well in Corinth. They received your letter great. They, they received it. It was good. And so Paul then sends Titus and two others back to Corinth with the letter that we call 2 Corinthians. Titus carried that back to the church in Corinth. Are we starting to get a little bit of history here, how, how, how amazing God is at weaving things together and how all of these things... God is incredible. At the time of Paul's letter to Titus that we, that we read this morning... Paul decides to leave Titus on the island of Crete. And he says that in verse 5, right after, right after I had finished reading verse 4 there. He says, I'm going to send you to Crete in, 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 to put in order the things that are left unfinished there. So there's a little bit of a taste of, of, of who Titus is and how much Paul trusts him and that he's kind of this, this son in the faith. Now, as we enter back into the, to the letter called Titus or to the, the book called Titus, let, let's go back into that. We find that Paul is sending Titus to establish a church on this island. That's the plan. And the letter begins with this kind of overarching purpose that I read and this promise of what this hard work is all about. So we see immediately that the apostle that, and that the leadership of Christ's church has a very specific purpose. It's fueled by God's promises. And what is the purpose? His ministry is to carry on Paul's work in ministry, and it's this. It says, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness to further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. His mission is to help bring faith to maturity. Paul is saying to Titus, enter Crete, go there, establish some, some order and help mature the faith of the believers there. Mature these people. Make their beliefs line up with their action, their, the truth that leads to godliness. Godliness. 
His mission is to help bring maturity. And Paul is passionate that belief and action, word and deed, need to come into alignment. Does anybody see a problem with that these days? Words and actions not coming into alignment? And the confusion that that causes? Like Chip Ingram, when he did the introduction there, saying the main reason he didn't become a Christian earlier on is because of Christians. Words and actions not lining up. Paul knows how crucial this is for our witness. Scripture speaks of the dangers when that's not the case, when there's confusion. Titus chapter 116, we'll see this later. Titus will say this, they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. <laughs> 1 John 3 says, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. James chapter, chapter 2 says it just simply like this, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by some actions, is dead. So we see these things throughout Scripture. Word and deeds need to line up. And if we go back to Titus chapter 1, we see that the purpose of furthering faith and creating mature Christians whose words and actions line up together is all wrapped up in this future hope and the promises that God gives. So, how's your faith? How's your walk going? Do you feel like you're maturing in your faith? Or do you feel kind of stunted? Or maybe you're here today and you don't really believe in Jesus as anything more than maybe a historical figure or just a good guy. How are you doing in terms of your faith? If your focus is to simply try to be good. And you see, I, apart from Jesus, you see a lot of people out there in the world that will say stuff like that, right? You know people like that? People will just say, hey, I'm just trying to be better today than I was yesterday. You know what I mean? You ever heard that? I just want to be good. Just trying to be good. If your focus is simply to try to be good, to do a little better each day, well, here's the thing. It doesn't sound that bad when you say it in those ways, right? It's like, oh, that's a nice gesture. But here's the problem. That's just the Old Testament happening over and over and over again. And when you, if, if your goal is just simply to try to be good today, I just want to tell you that you're going to find a lot of discouragement and failure. But if your focus is God and the grace that he provides, that he wells up in you, then like Titus, you'll find that good flows out of that relationship. You understand what I'm saying? Again, remember, Old Testament, be good, receive grace. Through Jesus Christ, you are given grace. You've been saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God so that no one may boast. In order that you can do good work. See, if your intent is on seeking Jesus, being filled by Jesus, that's where goodness lies. It's where it starts. It's where it comes from. Grace is given so that we might be empowered and filled and able to do Jesus' work, to be good. So how's your walk? How's your faith? Have you matured? And listen, hey, hey, ho, listen, I, I gotta mature. I need to do more maturing in my faith. It's, a, it's an anybody finished with their maturing? <laughs> we, we all can grow. We all can grow deeper in our love and grace and in our relationship to God. 
I mean, think about that with anybody that you are in relationship with now. I mean, do you know anybody fully? No, you can always grow in your relationship with the person that you're sitting across from, friend or spouse or whoever, parents, siblings, whether you want to or not. I'm just kidding. You can always grow. But now think of God. So beyond that, <laughs> it's never-ending until we stand in his presence and, we, and, and Scripture says, when we will be known even as we have been, when we will know even as we have been fully known, when all things, when, when the opaqueness clears and we just stand in God's presence, then we'll have the fullness of what it all is. But until then, we're maturing. We're growing. So if you feel like you're sort of adrift in life without an anchor or a direction, then I'm really excited about this study for you. If you feel like you've gotten kind of a, to a stale place in your faith walk, then can I invite you to take part in this Bible study? I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you've never done a Bible study, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Don't do that. I won't do that to you. But if you've never been a part of a Bible study, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to join a small group. Or find a friend, and I'll get you the material. Or I'll do it with you. Because this is so central. And, and the world is so in need of Christians whose beliefs and words line up with their actions and their deeds. Amen? This is so important. I just encourage you to get into a study. And if your faith is mature, and you, but you long to better understand God's plan and purpose for your life, how to live out this good that his grace provides and works, then I'm excited as well because this study's for you too. Jesus takes us out of this cycle of trying to be good for God, and he gives us grace for good. He gives us grace for good. God is here. God has come to meet you, to do his work in your life, to fill and empower and strengthen you so that you can leave this place and take his grace for good, empowering somebody else to receive his grace for good. I'm really excited, and I hope that you'll, that you'll join a small group and take part in this, even if it's just with your spouse. We'll get you connected, because God wants to pour out his grace, and Christians have a unique opportunity right now to live out his good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of grace for empowering and filling, for strengthening and guiding. Father, we're a broken people, but you make us whole. You fill us, you use us, you heal us, you forgive us, you empower us. Lord, pour out your grace on us and dwell in us. Lord, I pray that our words and our deeds would match and line up that our witness for you would be strong for the sake of your, of your kingdom. Lord, that we would have an impact in our day-to-day -day life and our personal relationships 
in our relationships as a church in this community and in this community in the state and in the world lord that father we lord would proclaim your grace for good and live that out in bold ways we ask this in jesus name and all god's people say